Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Do you love saving money? Then Philo is your solution. Philo has shows, movies, and live TV for just $25 a month. You can even try it for free with their seven-day free trial. No contracts, no commitments, no hassles, just a better way to watch TV. Never miss a minute of shows like the hit docuseries Where is Wendy Williams or classics such as Friends. If you can't get enough TV, then there's no better way to watch. Philo has more than 70 channels like BET, MTV, and AMC. And the best part? You can try it yourself with their seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash poppods. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash P-O-P-P-O-D-S to get 50% off your first month. Hey guys, it's Mark Striegel. Welcome to another edition of the Talking Metal Podcast. I've been hosting this show since 2005 and producing it since 2005. And uh, we still are plugging ahead here. Every week, every Tuesday, we bring you a new episode of Talking Metal. So here we go. It's Tuesday, and it's Talking Metal. Today, we are talking about one of my favorite bands, Iron Maiden. I know a lot of you guys love Maiden, too. And uh, yeah, we're talking about a specific record by them, Somewhere in Time. It is the sixth studio album by the band, released September 29th, 1986. And in the U.S. alone, it has sold well over a million copies. I'm not sure what the worldwide totals on the record are. But yeah, I love this record, man. And it is a great record by one of my favorite bands of all time, for sure. So I don't want to chat too much here at the top, but I would like to say Paul Stanley, man guy from one of my other favorite bands he he got covid we can hope that it is a mild case although it didn't really strike me as being that mild um i can't i can't say that i'm you know surprised i really can't i was scratching my head a little bit about why they were out there playing some indoor shows and uh, you know, I, I, I don't I don't know that it makes a lot of sense to me, especially when you've been listening to Paul Stanley talk about his cautiousness and everything. And then suddenly kisses back out and tour before anyone. Well, not before anybody, but before most. So I'm I'm hopeful that he um, gets well soon. I love Paul Stanley. I love Kiss. And you know, these bands, I mean, I've I've said this before, probably on the Mark Striegel podcast, but maybe here on Talking Metal too. I'm, I'm so on the fence about this. You know, there's a part of me that's just like, all right, we got to get things going. You know, we, we seriously, like we, I understand Delta variant, it's going up and you know, people are getting sick. Some people are sadly dying. I, I get it. 
But on the flip side, like we've been dealing with this forever now, man, since early 2020. I want to get my life back. I want to get, I want to get concerts going again. I, I there's part of me that thinks, yeah, Kiss shouldn't be out there playing during this, you know, potentially risking their lives and their fans' lives. But another part of me is like, yeah, it's time to do this. And if COVID isn't going to vanish, which it's not, you know, it's this is going to it's going to go down. Delta variant's going to go down, but then we're going to get another little spike, you know, and another one and another one. So it, we just got to start living our lives, guys. I, I I don't know. I went out to a 5K race today. No one was, this is North Jersey. We're, we've been in pretty good shape here with, with numbers, but hardly anyone wearing masks. I noticed somebody in a certain state in the South or something that sound that sounds like, Oh, well, no one wears masks here. Well, in New Jersey, everyone was wearing masks for a while, but you know, and part of me, like I I was just like, huh, should I be wearing my mask as I'm standing in line waiting for the race to start? And I didn't, you know, so I hope I don't regret that, but it was outdoors. And again, I'm on the fence. There's part of me that thinks, no, these bands should not be out there playing shows. And there's another part of me that's just like, okay, Listen, we all, not all of us, but I personally did the right thing for a while and I just don't know, man. I don't know. We got to, we got to, we can't keep living in fear at home. We get vaccinated. We do the right things, but we got to, we got to get this thing going again. You know, I don't want, I don't want my friends to die. I big shout out by the way to. Jeremy Weltman over there in the UK who was vaccinated. He's a supporter of mine on Patreon, a guy I I really, really like. And he came down with COVID and was sick. It sounds like he's still struggling with it a little bit. Um, Luckily, he had the vaccine, so he's going to be fine in the long run, at least we hope. And Jeremy, please keep us posted on how you're doing. So without further ado, let's get into this discussion on the great record Somewhere in Time by Iron Maiden. And let's thank every patron that we have. Um, you know, only a small handful of you guys joined me for this. I don't know if uh, people weren't fans of this record or just uh, didn't want to get on the Zoom call with me or whatever. <laughs> whatever. Um, hear me talk about, you know, cut you off and, and interject my own comments. I get it. Maybe it's not that appealing to get on a Zoom call with Mark Striegel. Uh, But listen, next time, I hope more of you can join us. We will do this again. And uh, I do want to give a shout out to the patrons, the people who make this show happen. We're trying to get 100 of you guys. And then I will deliver a biweekly video show. And uh, that will be because we have 100 patrons. We are at 52 right now. We have Nick Beach, who just joined us. Nick, I remember your name. I know you've given some PayPal donations in the past. Definitely a familiar name. So anyways, thank you so much for joining us. Mrs. Metal Dan, Sam Warwick, Kado Yogalva, Adrian Kuzik, Dane Damage, Madison Hatter, Seth B., Alan Janssen, Hank Reeves from Dash Vodka, my favorite vodka. That's Hank. That's Hank. Buy Dash Vodka, guys. John Simpson, Huckney Jacobson, John Barron, Ed Ferguson, Denny Striegel, Patrick Sabin, Jerry from Salt Lake City, Blue Walsh, 21, Victor Guzman, Gene Eugene DX, Sean Richmond, Mario Charance, Andrew Miller, Jeremy Weltman. As I mentioned before, Jeremy, 
keep me posted on how you're doing. Chris Riley, Johan Ardestrom, Steven Rodriguez, Tommy Anderson, Gregory Muse, Kenny McCrimmon, Leo Shabin, Brad Dahl, Dan Gurwan, Victor M. Ruiz, Jerry from Long Island, Sam Soupy, Drake, Matt Carroll, Joe Ryan, Jason Seth, Steven Saylor, Ron Keel, Jean-Francois Blah, Anthony Mackey, James Bennett, David Gray, Fred Roots, Michael Street, Mike Jones, Steve Hoker, John Bovari, and Metal Dan. Thanks, guys. Let's get into the episode and talk Iron Maiden. All right, guys, so let's get into our discussion on Somewhere in Time by Iron Maiden, featuring myself, Victor M. Ruiz, who has the Mars Attacks podcast and co-hosts the Mark Striegel podcast with me. He's a part of this discussion. We got Johan over in Sweden, Johan Erdström. We got Anthony Mackie. We got, uh, who else? Andrew Miller up there in Canada. We got Sam Soupy in PA, Ed Ferguson, Kentucky, right, Ed? And uh, yeah, man, some of these guys that go back a long way with, and it's so awesome that they are still a part of the Talking Metal family after all these years. Like Ed, I remember Ed from ages ago uh, checking in with me back in the day. So anyways, here we are, all hanging out, all talking about Somewhere in Time by Iron Maiden. It was two separate Zoom calls. So what I'll do is I'll put kind of a sound effect in between the two Zoom calls to kind of differentiate between them. So it's one group of guys in the first round here and then another group of guys in the uh, second round. I guess the the North American guys in the, the second round. So let's do it right now here on the Talking Metal Podcast. Somewhere in time, my friends, uh, my supporters, my Patreon brothers talking maiden with me. Hey, it's Mark Striegel of Talking Metal. And what we're doing is another one of our Zoom calls where we talk about a classic record. The way we picked this record was the Patreon supporters on my Patreon page all voted and they decided that we would talk about Somewhere in Time by Iron Maiden. I have to remember, guys, what were some of the other albums we voted on? I think it was, uh, was it Ride the Lightning by... uh, yeah, Defenders of the Faith, I believe, as well. Yeah, and I'm tr- Ride the Lightning by Metallica, Defenders of the Faith, and I can't remember what the other one was. Um, let me see if Heaven I can. Heaven Hell? Yes, I think you're right. I think, who said that, Victor? No, it was Anthony. Oh, Anthony, yes, yeah. So those were the four records, so some really good contenders there, and... I have to admit, I'm a little surprised somewhere in time. One, let's go to the polls here. Let me just, uh, yeah, so those were the four. I have it up in front of me now. Ride the Lightning by Metallica received seven votes. Somewhere in Time by Iron Maiden received 10 votes. Heaven and Hell by Black Sabbath, eight. And Defenders of the Faith by Judas Priest, a measly three uh, votes now. All these records are, are super important for me. I'm trying to remember which one I I voted for. I don't know. Um, you know, Defenders was a big record for me because it really 
really got me deep into Priest, that record, and made, you know, I was more of a casual Priest fan before that, but that really took me down a Priest rabbit hole. And with Somewhere in Time, for me, Maiden was just so prominent in my life at that point when Somewhere in Time was released, it was almost like, I, I, I don't know, I, it was almost like it, it just another hit in the face by Maiden in a good way, but the, you know, they, they were just so active during that time and the Power Slave tour just went on and on and on. And I remember not being as excited to see them on the Somewhere in Time tour, of course I went, but I remember not being quite as excited as I had been to see them on, on Power Slave. Why was that? I'm not sure, but it was almost like they had so much exposure in, in the 80s and they'd come through my area of the, of the world at least three times on the Power Slave tour and I'd seen them twice on that tour. So when they came, came back through somewhere in time, buying a ticket, you know, in those days, money was always tight for a teenager, but I had, well, I'd seen them a couple times the year before. So I was really kind of wondering if I wanted to see them again. Of course I did and scrounged enough money for a ticket. And I remember going to the show and just uh, really being blown away. And sometimes, sometimes in some ways, even more so than Power Slave, because my expectations weren't as high as I feel like they were on the Power Slave tour. Uh, it was an interesting record because you know, we'll get into this a little bit, but no Bruce Dickinson writing credit. And I do want to talk to you guys about that um, because Bruce Dickinson had as much writing credits on Power Slave as Steve Harris did. So behind the scenes, we've heard stories that there was a struggle. I mean, at this point in history, 2021, we think of this as Steve Harris's band, but there was some reporting and even I believe in the official Iron Maiden autobiography, there was kind of a, a power struggle going on there where Bruce was maybe trying to become a little bit more dominant. And I, I feel like Steve kind of just pushed him back and it was like, okay, we're not doing any Bruce songs on this record. So it was the beginning of a strained relationship between Steve Harris and Bruce Dickinson that I, I feel like they tried to rectify with the next record, the Seventh Son record. But it is interesting. No Bruce Dickinson songwriting credits on this record after he had such a prominent place on Power Slave. Anyways, I'm joined by some of my patrons today. I want to get right into a talk with Johan over in Sweden, who was just talking about the uh, tradition they do over there every August where they eat cra uh, crawfish, right, Johan, and, and drink vodka. So he's a little hungover right now, but uh, he's here to talk about Iron Maiden somewhere in time. How are you, Johan? I'm good, even though I had a little bit of hangover, but it's soon over. Uh, yeah. And you got this, your Iron Maiden t-shirt on there, the, the yeah. Somewhere in Time. That looks vintage. Is that from back in the day? It's bought in the 15th of November, uh, 1986 in Gothenburg. Wow. Johan just held up his ticket stub. Wow, that is great. 1986. Wow. Is that the first time you saw Maiden? Yeah. And my first uh, big concert in Gothenburg. Let's start there. What do you remember about this concert? Uh, first of all, to see Maiden in Gothenburg is something that every rock, uh, you know, heavy metal maniac should do because it's a 
It's a special town. Uh, and Maiden is huge in Gothenburg still. And back then, you know, when we came to Gothenburg, it was dark. Uh, outside Scandinavia on the big ice rink, people were chanting Maiden, Maiden, Maiden. So, uh, you know, Power Slave made Maiden big, really big in Sweden. And this was, uh, you know, where they came back with somewhere in Taurus, was like a triumph uh, for them to come back. Uh, still one of the loudest concerts. Audio, uh, the audience was the loudest, one of the lo loudest audience I have ever heard, still. Wow. And were you fully into the record? Had you bought the record before the show? Did you know the record well? Yeah, I got it for my uh, 14th birthday and uh, 22nd of October. So I had a couple of weeks to, to learn the record. Uh, and it's a special record for me because um, kind of like Turbo and Afterburner, uh, it's Maiden changed, like Priest changed and CC Top changed. And they went a little bit digital. And uh, I liked it, it felt fresh. Uh, I love the artwork, of course, on the record. Uh, perhaps one of Maiden's best or funniest artworks. Uh, and uh, the Blade Runner feeling, you know, the intro on the concert and the uh, It was an album lights. cover you could just stare into and that you'd always seem to come across something else. But yeah, the Blade Runner vibe, but, you know, little, uh, you know, kind of nods back to maiden history you know you you'd see in in the in the lights and in the signs there so yeah wow what a record what an album cover art by Derek Riggs the artist yeah yeah and uh you know and I don't know what you guys thought of it but when you put the needle down on the first song and you heard that special sound of the guitar synthesizers on uh Caught Somewhere in Time I loved it uh, and I still do um uh, and uh, the same as the second song, Wasted Years, who is perhaps one of Maiden's absolute best songs written by Avian Smith. Uh, and uh, I also love the artwork on the EP of the Wasted Years. The same uh, kind of artwork, futuristic. Right, yep, the single uh, version, uh, yeah. I don't, know what you guys, I don't know what you guys think, but Wasted Years is almost kind of not a Maiden song. It sounds different. I don't know if you agree, but uh, there was something else there. Yeah, there was right. a, a real hook, you know, almost a commercial vibe to it. And Adrian Smith, the writer of that song, as you, as you mentioned, who was kind of known as being of the bunch of a more commercial rock guy, if you, if you will, that was, what he grew up on, what he liked, even before Maiden, he was in more of a, a commercial hard rock band. So yeah, I mean, what a, what a great, great tune. And I mean, that, that unique guitar little thing that he does on the, the E string, which is, I've tried to learn that. It's much more complicated than it sounds. Um, it's like five little opened E's. And, and then I think it's on the, maybe it's the fifth note every time, you you fret it um but yeah an amazing tune one of maiden's best tunes for sure stranger in a strange land the other single off the record also written by adrian smith um i love deja vu a very a, more of a maiden deep cut a very rare dave murray written tune on wikipedia it actually credits 
Dave Murray and Steve Harris for that song. For some reason, I always thought it was just Dave Murray. I have to go back to the <clears throat> original vinyl. I've noticed that that a lot of times the original vinyl of a lot of these records doesn't list the songwriting credits the same as it does on Wikipedia for a lot of different bands. But anyways, uh, yeah, great, great record. Heaven Can Wait, too. I remember that in concert was such a a strong point. I think that's where they brought out all the road crew and everyone on stage and they would, they would sing along with that. Um, yeah. Great, great tune. Johan, you want to say something? Yeah. Yeah. In Sweden, uh, the only big music magazine called OK had us, if I remember correctly, yeah. a competition that five or six of the winners could go out during the, in Sweden, we call it stick in heaven can wait. Right. Uh, yeah. Uh, and uh, sing the woo. Uh, so I remember it well. Yeah. Yeah. What, what a hook on that tune. But yeah, again, such a great album. And another deep cut, The Loneliness of a Long Distance Runner, one that I, I would absolutely call a maiden deep cut. You, you don't hear that one much anymore, but that started off side two. Um, Johan, we can come back to you, but right now let's jump over to Anthony. Anthony, how are you, man? Hi, good. Where good. you check? Remind us where you're checking in from. Ireland. Ireland, yes. Um, hour or so outside Dublin. Right, and is that the same time zone as Sweden or different? Mm, I, I, I think different, think right? So. Yeah, I, I would think, think so. I would think different. Yeah. We were probably an hour ahead. Right on. Well, thank you for joining us, Anthony. No Anthony Mackey here, a longtime supporter on Patreon. You're a Maiden fan. Um, what, where does, where does this album rank for you? This, I, this is a funny album. You know, it came out when Maiden Mania was, as you had mentioned earlier, was at its peak, I would say. And like, it, it, we, we could not have been more hyped for an album at this point. You know, right. after, you know, listen to Life After Death for pretty solidly for a year or so. So the level of excitement around this album was, was huge, huge. Um, you know, I, I think I was a little let down by the, the synth uh, elements and the guitar sounds are, were not good then and they're still not good. Um, which is a shame because the drums and the bass are recorded superbly. They, they're, they're amazing. There's a processed tone to the guitars that I hear, uh, which in, in that time frame, there was a, a device called the Rockman. I don't know if you're a musician that Tom Schultz from Boston had invented. And it was called the Rockman. It was all the craze at that time. I don't know if they're using that on this record, but it sounds like it. And, and cause it, it was, it was, it was this, it looked like a Walkman. It was this little device. And again, gotcha. invented by Tom Schultz. And it, it really picked up popularity in the, in the mid eighties, but it had that it's sound. Like one of those, yeah. One of those little uh, pods, remember them? Uh, they were like, they were shaped like a guitar and they were, they had all these digital, like early digital, Right. Yes. Yeah. Um, I would love to hear this album in the raw, you know, with none of that, because like the three. It's funny the three tracks you mentioned earlier on. Are the three, my favorite three songs on this, 
Heaven Can Wait, Loneliness, and Deja Vu. Like they, you strip away the the effects, they could be from Killers or something. They're very raw songs. I love Deja Vu. I used to yeah, uh, just great. pick up that needle and pl- and lift it. As soon as the song would end, I'd lift it right back and play the song over and over again. It was such a great tune. Yeah, it, it's great. So yeah, it, it, I've there's so many sort of single note riffs on this album. Almost every song has its riffs are these single note riffs, and they're wow, good observation. Yeah. So the whole album almost feels like one. I, uh, it's, it is quite difficult to break it up into songs, you know, because there's so much of that, you know, it's, it's almost Lizzie in places, you know, without right. the harmon- harmonies. In fact, harmonically, it, it, it's, it's quite straightforward and it's quite weak, but it's, uh, you know, I haven't listened to it in a long time, but I've listened to it five times this week. Okay. And, uh, the first few times I was like, I'm not going to make it all the way through. The sound was just, I just couldn't get with the, the sound. But then by the third or fourth time, you kind of forget about the, what's awful about it. And you just really enjoy the songs. They're like, they're so good. Right Especially on. those three I mentioned that they're, they're fantastic. Yeah. I love the opener too. Caught somewhere in time. I thought was just really great tune yeah um sea of madness no i can live without that um and alexander the great like it's just hilarious to hear bruce singing to try to fit that in it's like a they might be giants song but it's uh you know what they do their kind of history lessons right yeah um but it's such fun like he's the king of macedonia like it's so funny yeah well they they had it even at this point in in time i mean you know six years in since their first record, they had kind of become the band that would give us little history lessons, you know, whether it was on literature or poetry. I was listening to rhyme of the ancient Mariner yesterday, actually, when I was on a, a working out on a, on a jog, which is when I'm out jogging, I tend to really pay focus in on the lyrics and stuff when I'm, when I'm working out, I don't know why, but those, those lyrics too, it's, it almost gets a little ridiculous at times, the, it is, but, but, but it works, but it works for yeah, me. Yeah. I, I mean, I love it. I love it. So Anthony, <laughs> you're, you're not, you're not saying this is Maiden's best work. What would Maiden's best work be in your mind? Killers? Oh, no, I think, I think Power Slave. Is okay. My fa- I, I don't like use the word best. You're my favorite. Your favorite, right? Yeah. I think Power Slave. Yeah, or Numbered Beast. Like, you know, pretty predictable stuff, really. And do you feel the record suffered by not having Bruce Dickinson involved with the songwriting? In 86, I wouldn't have known. Right. I wouldn't have been able to tell. And I suppose even now, I, I can't really tell what Bruce brings to the table when he does write. Yeah. You know, I, I, I read the songs, <clears throat> song on the, was it Book of Souls? That he's wrote the, he wrote the whole song. He wrote the whole song. Um, uh, I don't have that in front of me, but yeah, uh, I, but I take your word for it. Yeah. But I, I don't know, like, does Bruce write on guitar or does he write on piano? I, I have no idea what he does. He he does play guitar. So I would think he writes on guitar, but I, that's a good question. I don't know. But he even on the Power Slave tour, 
he played guitar. Um, he played guitar on the song Revelations. Right. Yeah. So I remember seeing that tour and that was the one song where they actually had three guitar players on stage at that time, you know, pre Yannick because Bruce during that song had a guitar wrapped around him and, and would play uh, a little bit of guitar on that song. Cool. If my memory serves me correctly, which it doesn't always, but that's, <laughs> that's the way I, I remember a, it. Yeah. I am a little jealous hearing you talk about the, the um, power slave tour, just visiting you three or four times. Whereas in, uh, in Ireland, we didn't get to see Maiden until um, no prayer for the dying. Really? No, I know it was a real, a real live one. Remember when they did that real live one, a real dead one? That was the tour that they finally came to Ireland, and it was a quite a big deal. Now, it was the tour where Bruce had already announced he was leaving, right? So he he was on stage and he looked like he couldn't give a shite about the gig. You know, really? So wow! They're all in their stage gear, and he's in a leather jacket, and. Uh, but it was great anyway. Like you know, it was such such hype about Maiden finally playing Dublin that people that, that surprises me that that they didn't get there before yeah. then. But yeah, wow, wow. And we also have Victor Ruiz joining us on the call. Victor, how are you today? I'm doing well. Your mic sounds good as always. What what does this record bring up in you? Uh, emotions, thoughts, uh, where were you in your maiden, maiden fandom at this point in history? Were you deep into the band already? Like, let's talk about Somewhere in Time and how it relates to you personally. Okay, so Somewhere in Time was the first maiden album that I possessed in full. My cousin Gabriel, who is usually on the chat and in, uh, on Patreon, um, he introduced this album. He brought it to my house and I taped it, of course. So this was the first Maiden album that I had heard in full at that point in time. I was in sixth grade, I believe. And then after this, I just dove headfirst into Maiden, got Live After Death and Peace of Mind and, and stuff like that. And instantly, of course, when I heard the album for the first time, a lot of the guitar synths and stuff like that that's been brought up, I didn't, you know, I didn't notice a difference, uh, much like when Turbo came out by Priest. You know, I was just a kid just getting introduced to a lot of a lot of bands that weren't Kiss, basically. <laughs> and as right, a result, right. you know, I didn't I didn't know any better. Of course, once you get peace of mind and then you start going back and putting pieces together, you're like, wow, sonically, they sound so different. It's the same band, obviously, but the production is is so different um, where, you know, progressing, you listen to something like Power Slave. If you really listen to it, like with good speakers or a good set of headphones, it sounds like you're in the room with the band, especially with Nico's drums. With Somewhere in Time, I mean, it was fitting for that time if you look back and analyze it because all of the bands were trying to be Van Halen or be, you know, other bands that were popular at the time. So they were trying to get that similar guitar sound or in Maiden's case, they didn't want to add keys, but they added them in their own way. You know, they did it through the guitar synths. So the album sounds different as a result because they, I don't know if modernizing is the correct word or, or what exactly they wanted to do 
at the time. The album also has a, uh, is kind of a big deal to me as well, because I remember the first time after I moved here to Spain and I was uh, convinced to drive to Madrid by my future wife in a car that didn't have air conditioning and we're there in a hundred some odd degree weather we're wow. I'm flipping through radio stations in traffic and I hear the opening to caught somewhere in time come on. And I was like, Holy shit, what's this? And my wife's like, what's going on? What's your problem? Like this is Iron Maiden on radio and not only that it was Iron Maiden, but it was caught somewhere in time. Like it wasn't run to the hills or or number of the beasts. So to me, that was, that was a big deal for me. I mean, my, my favorite tracks off of the album are the opener. I love sea of madness. (laughs) I know Anthony just said that it was one of his favorites, but there's just something with that song that I absolutely love. Uh, Deja Vu is such a great track as well Loneliness, a long distance runner, runner Excuse me Stranger in a Strange Land is a song that I've never Been able to get into For whatever reason, I'll listen to it But it's not one of those where I have to listen to it You know, it doesn't have that sort of Feel to it But um, I, I, I really love the album um, I know that You mentioned how this was kind of the crux for Bruce wanting to leave later on, but it's so interesting if you look at it, because there were three albums that came out after this, you know, yes. much, much to Anthony's point, that tour was after fear of the dark and fear of the dark came out in what? 90, 92. And somewhere in time came out in 80, 86, 86. So he yeah. still late 86. Yeah. Six years you know, he spent six years bickering with the boss at his job until he basically said, all right, I've had to me. Yeah. To me, somewhere in time though, was the record where I think Harris really, and this is speculation on my part, but he kind of like laid the law down. Okay. This is, this is my band. You know, Bruce brought some ideas to the table. It wasn't maiden enough for, for Steve Harris. And there was definitely some power struggles behind the scenes there between those guys and Bruce lost. I mean, he had not one, he brought songs to the table, but not one song ended up on the record. And, and we've, we've heard reports that the next record, seven son, he, those were some of those ideas on that record were actually the, ideas that Bruce had brought to the table for somewhere in time and had been basically told that they were, they were no good. And I mean, let's look, you know, the next record, one, two, three, four songwriting credits for Bruce, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six for, for Steve Harris. But, you know, he was definitely kind of brought back to the table as a songwriter for sure on the, on the next record, that that's a good question for you guys. Which record's better, in your in your opinion, between those two? Somewhere in time or Seventh Son of a Seventh Son? What do you think, Johan? Ooh, I think uh, Seventh Son of a Seventh Son. Yeah, uh, it's uh, somewhere in time. It has this magic feeling for me because of the first concert and so. But. Uh, Seven Son of the Seven Son is perhaps Maiden's best record. Really? Wow. Okay. Sometimes. Okay. What do you think, Anthony? I'm going to say 
somewhere in time. So I, uh, I, I, Seven Son never sat with me really, really well. Um, I know I'm, I'm, I'm always the grumpy one here, but I, I <laughs> you know, I liked it. It was out. But I, I never, I never bought it. I never owned it. You know, right. I, I heard it everywhere. Yeah. Um, although we did it well, around the time we were we did the Killers. Uh, no, no, we did the Iron Maiden night for this. I was listening to a lot of Maiden, and uh, I gave Seven Son a good few runs at that time, and I really enjoyed it. So I don't know, but I think I think probably Summer Time is. Uh, I prefer it more. It's not better. I prefer it more. Right on, Victor. Yeah, get, getting back to what Anthony said before, I, I prefer to use favorite as well because there are too many opinionated people that want to lay down the absolute best. For me, Seventh Son is my favorite Maiden album as well. Uh, so I actually prefer the the tracks and how this the album is. I love the production on Seventh Son a lot more than Somewhere in Time. My biggest knock with Somewhere in Time is the production. It just doesn't sounds sonically as good as all of the other albums that Martin Birch did with them for whatever reason. I don't know why, but I would take Seven Sun easily over Summer in Time because of that. Right on, right on. All right. Well, we will wrap it up with you three guys now. Um, and we're going to be joined by some other patrons in just, just a moment here. So stay tuned for that to continue the discussion on Somewhere in Time by Iron Maiden. You know, Victor, before we end here, I did just want to point out something that you kind of hinted at, I think, a little bit. You know, this was the mid-80s, bands like Priest and, and Maiden, although they were definitely in some ways not embracing the what was coming out of America and the Sunset Strip and still trying to be their own. In some ways they were. And I mean, you could even argue the song Wasted Years with its hookiness. Was that an influence, you know, that, okay, there's all these commercial hard rock bands coming out with hooks and courses. And and was that uh, maybe a step towards trying to... Um, become more commercial if you were if you will for maiden and even bruce do you remember his hair on this tour i mean he came out with the highlights you know and i think you were the one who pointed out to me that even acdc at this time I and mean, what this is around what this is around fly in the wall that that we saw them glam it up not much but a little bit you know just you know kind of fluff the hair out just a little bit and of course priest is the one everyone always points at because they even maybe took it a little the image and the and the synth sounds even a little further with but not much really with turbo you know but uh it, that's something to to definitely make note of here that bruce's look especially he came out and he was blonde you know he had dyed his hair he wasn't brown anymore he was more blonde yeah the, the, i've always wondered if this was their attempt at the brown sound if you will if it was their attempt because fly on the wall to me, I always felt like Angus was trying to pursue that whole Eddie Van Halen sound. He had the Floyd Rose in the SG. Ace Freely had the Floyd Rose in the Les Pauls. You know, the as you're saying, teased out hair. All of these bands 
kind of affronted what was going on in their own way. And even though Maiden and Priest were huge, they surely didn't want to get left behind, you know? Um, So, I mean, I don't know, again, the transition between Seventh Son, or excuse me, from Somewhere in Time to Seventh Son, because that's kind of going back to more of a traditional thing for Maiden, although, you know, Can I Play With Madness, you could argue, is there. Um, But also Anthony brought up, Thin Lizzy. Thin Lizzy was a big influence for them, obviously. And Lizzy was known for having these types of songs that maybe you could compare to, you know, Can I Play With Madness or, or Wasted Years or uh, Years Later, um, Wicker Man or, or things like that. You know, just short songs that, you know, they were hoping to get some sort of noise for their upcoming release. I want to now kind of just throw it over to you guys. And Andrew, why don't we start with you? Where are you checking in from, Andrew? I know you're up in Canada. Can you tell me again exactly where in Canada? Yeah, I'm in a place called Grand Bay, New Brunswick. I'm about an hour or so from the U.S. border with Maine. Oh, from Maine. Okay, right, right. Yeah. I was For some reason, I always picture you do more further inland in Canada. But that okay, so New, Br- New Brunswick, Canada. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, gotcha. Cool. And is that where you grew up, Andrew? Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. So let's talk about this record. Were you an Iron Maiden fan going into this record? When did you first hear this record? Any memories you can share, personal memories of this record? Well, yeah, I've been an Iron Maiden fan, right? I discovered uh, Killers when I was in high school and then went back and got the first album and, and, you know, the women in uniform EP and all that kind of stuff. And ever since that point, I followed them through. So I got this, I probably bought this, if not the day it showed up in the store, certainly the week it showed up in the store. Uh, You know, thinking about what you were saying about wasted years, I, I wonder if maybe what, you know, I hadn't thought about what you were saying, but it makes me wonder if maybe they were just a little bit influenced by, you know, the music at the time. Uh, you know, I, I don't know, like the, the beginnings of hair metal and stuff in 86 and whatnot. I, I don't know that. It's just a wild guess. But, you know, it's not an overwhelming influence. But, it, you know, now that you've put that in my head, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah. And even the way they, they looked, like I said, I always I remember when Bruce came came out and he had the blondish kind of uh I remember there was a stuff called sun in and you used to spray it in your hair and it would actually fry your hair, but it would turn it blondish. Yeah. And, and I, I feel like that's what he was using for that. But he, that was probably what I was using. He probably had a professional do his, but, um, but yeah, even that was kind of a, something that, that I wouldn't have imagined the number of the beast era Bruce Dickinson doing, you know? So it was, it was definitely an interesting time for them. And uh, yeah, I, 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 I don't know. I don't know. I mean, we saw Priest. We saw even ACDC just ever so slightly, you know, their hair was done a little bit more on the Fly in the Wall tour, you know. So go, go ahead, Andrew. Well, I was going to say, it's funny because, you know, getting ready for this, I listened to the album again. And, and, and also I watched the video for uh, uh, Stranger in a Strange Land and, my wife walked in the room and she said, I don't remember Bruce being so blonde. So again, yeah, right. you hit the nail right on the head. And, and you know, that, that actually stranger in a strange land is my favorite song from the album. Like 
there's just something about the pace of it that I really like. And it's almost got a groove. I, I, I really like it. I, I like the whole album. I'm One of two see- singles off the record, Stranger in a Strange Land. Both, I got to pull it up on Wikipedia, but I think both written by Adrian Smith. I think we said this earlier, but yeah, both written by Adrian Smith. So yeah. What a, what a prominent uh, voice he became, you know, and and we saw Bruce, I feel like almost getting sidelined a bit on this record. Of course, his voice still was such an important part of the record, but as far as his, his ideas for the record, maybe not so much, but Bruce has no co-writes on the record. Yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy. Really crazy. And we're going to jump over to you, Sam. You're in Pennsylvania, right? Yep. That's right. And Eastern Pennsylvania. Yeah. I'm up like two hours North of Philly. And you're the one I think who originally told me to watch mayor of East town, which was such a great yeah, show. That was man. me. Yeah. Yeah. That was, was such a, a great, great show. show, man. I loved that HBO. Yeah, this awesome. is off topic, but we just watched uh, what is it called? Like white, white Lotus or something. Did you know how, how was that? I hear good things about it. Yeah, it was excellent. It was excellent. That's really cool. good. It takes place in Hawaii, but anyways, so yeah. Sam, what are your early memories of this record? Well, to me, somewhere in time is all about like, um, you know, where Maiden was at that point coming off of Power Slave and Live After Death. I mean, I discovered them right before somewhere in time. So it was like working backwards, you know, seeing the videos on MTV. I was a kid at the time. And, you know, so you see Run to the Hills and and they used to air the Live After Death video. So me and my brother bought all the records going backwards. So for us somewhere in time was the first maiden record that we were able to get as it came out. You know what I mean? Everything else we discovered after the fact. Right. So like, and you know, and, and back in those days, it was so cool because you didn't even know records were coming out. I mean, we knew it was coming out because we saw the video for wasted years on MTV and it was like, Whoa, new maiden album coming out. This is great. Well, I got a question for you. Knowing that you basically, this was your first maiden experience and then you said you went backwards when you when you do remember the feelings you had when you went backwards and you heard like number of the beast or even a killers because those are different sounding records i mean were you like oh wow they were even better before or they weren't as they weren't as commercial do you remember any of the feelings you had about where they had been before somewhere in time you definitely knew somewhere in time was a different animal just based from wasted years. You know, there's nothing like that in the back catalog to that point. And right away you're like, Whoa, they're a little, it was a little poppy, a little bit of guitar synth coming into the picture, a little bit of that 80s sound, which at the time we didn't know it was the 80s sound. We just thought it was the sound. Right. So, so it wasn't like we were saying, Oh, this is Iron Maiden taking on the eighties. It was just, Hey, this is new maiden, you know, but um, right on. we loved it, you know, and I remember I'll never forget getting the tape because it had like this cool, like almost like a gatefold for a cassette. It like the whole cover opened up. You guys are nodding your heads. You know what I'm talking about? I think they had a couple that were like that. And the artwork was phenomenal. It had all the clues in it and all the little like Easter eggs for nerds to find and everything. And um, I don't know, to, to me, this record is uh, it's an occupies a special place for me because it was the first maiden record that I got brand new, you know? And, uh, yeah. you know, did you see just, him on that tour, Sam? 
No, I was too, I was too young. Unfortunately, man, I wish I could have, I didn't catch him until Bruce came back into the band on the brave new world tour. And I've seen every subsequent tour since then, but I couldn't, I never caught them in the eighties. I wish I did, man. But, uh, I saw videos from that tour and they looked amazing. You know, that stranger to strange land video was a nice performance video from this tour. But, um, but to me, the, the epics stand out on this. I mean, heaven can wait on this album. Yeah. How can you, you know, you you can't do much better than that. I mean, you know, and, and even the song like Alexander the great, we, I took that as like the next version of rhyme of the ancient Mariner almost, you know, it's another, not so much a literature lesson, but a history lesson and another Steve Harris epic. And um, I don't know, it was just all very, it just really sounded like Maiden to me, even though it was entrenched in the 80s a little more. And a very rare Dave Murray song, too, which we, we didn't get many songwriting Deja vu. Uh, yeah. credits by him. Yep. And I will say that's one of my favorites off the record. I, great I, I song. mentioned that yeah. earlier, but yeah, that is one of my favorites for sure. Yeah. Any, any, anything else on the record, Sam, you want to share? Not that I could think of off the top of my head, just uh I, I honestly think it was like the beginning of them going into this epic phase that they're in now, because, you know, after this record, you look at where they went with seventh son, then they, they, then they pulled back a little bit, but when they did pull back, the band fell apart and Bruce left. So it was like, you wonder if they just kept going, would they be where they're at now anyway with these? I mean, I think the the new record, the last three songs are all over 10 minutes long. The one that's coming out next week. Right. I mean, the maiden is just like, total prog now which i don't have a problem with i love where they're at now i think it's cool and the more music the better for me but um i do see somewhere in time as like a breaking off point a lot of epic songs on this album longer arrangements longer intros a lot more jamming and more instrumental passages i think you know it's neck and neck with power slave for me however i i probably like power slave a little bit better and that that may just be because that was the first tour I got to see them on live yeah. twice. And I saw the tour, and, yeah. and uh, it was just such a, a big part of my life. Mm-hmm. You know, Power Slave and that era of Maiden. It was just all consuming, and and I admit, it, even though I was just Maiden crazy, when Somewhere in Time came out, I, I was a little less excited about it coming out than I had been for Power Slave, and. It, it was almost just like, I, I, I don't know. I was just like, yeah, just almost too much maiden in, in my I think life. Power but. slave was like an early pinnacle for them, the yeah. power slave record. And then that tour that you saw and then the live album, I feel like that was like mid eighties, like maybe made in Mach one, like Zenith, you know, like right. that was the high point. <laughs> yeah, that's and then it just like- sort of, not that they went backwards or down, but it just got different after that. You know, yeah. that's how I see this record. And I always wondered if there it was this this strain within the band, you know, they, they hit that massive success that they had with Power Slave and then suddenly they're they're fried. I mean, they've admitted that. And Bruce kind of gets sucker punched to the side, you know, and it's kind of like I, I, I really feel like he was threatening to leave after that tour, but they let him do this concept, basically concept record. Seventh Son was the next record, which he was heavily involved with that whole thing. And yeah, it's just, it's, it's interesting. So it, it definitely feels like a turning point in their, in their career for me. And I, I, I 
think that's what you were bringing up there, Sam. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to jump over to Ed. Ed, remind me where you're checking in from. From Lexington, Kentucky. Yes, right on. How are you guys doing in Kentucky? Uh, we're doing pretty good. Yeah. Kind What's of struggling up? through the same things everybody else is. Yeah, I you know, thought a lot I saw of people sick and in the hospital. Yeah, I saw. I thought I saw the numbers in Kentucky. I thought they they had started to turn and were actually coming down. So I hope that's the case. Yeah, yeah. I think I saw that same headline today. Yeah, you know, it seems to change every day. The yeah. the news. Yeah, that's so it's true. hard to say. Well, enough of that. Let's talk about something fun. And that is the somewhere in time <laughs> record. You got it behind you there on the stand. I love. You always get the <laughs> album set up. That's. That's great, Ed. And for you, Ed, where were you when you discovered this record? Was it when it came out or was it after Mm -hmm. the fact? Yeah, this came out when I was 16. So by this time, I had spent about the same age. How old are you? Yeah, um, 51. I was born in 70. Okay, so uh, I was born. I was born like two weeks after heavy metals birthday. (laughs) Oh, okay. So that's pretty cool. The, and and what would uh, that be the the first Black Sabbath record? That's right. Yeah, okay. I was sure. born March second, just a couple of weeks after that, just in time for all the good stuff. Yeah, right on. Um, so anyway, I had spent you know a couple of two three years by this time discovering hard rock and metal bands. Uh, you know, building my own little music collection of cassette tapes. Of course, I had that same cassette tape that Sam was talking about. And uh, let's see. You know, the year before this, when I was 15, I was pretty much listening to Live After Death and Power Slave all the time. I think I listened to all of Maiden stuff pretty consistently. They were probably one of the biggest uh, or one of, one of the bands I listened to the most besides uh, having recently discovered Metallica. Um, I remember listening to Worldwide Live a lot by the Scorpions. That was a really big record at the same time. Oh, yeah. So I, was, I was listening to a mix of, you know, the hard rock and heavy metal bands. And at the same time, beginning to discover thrash metal, uh, Metallica and Anthrax and Agnostic Front, DRI, that kind of thing. So as you were talking about at the beginning of our conversation, not only Maiden, but you know, a lot of bands beginning kind of late 84, especially in the 85 and 86 started to change their sound. like you mentioned, ACDC going to fly on the wall. You know, that was a little less heavy, you know, than the records before it. Uh, Motley right. Crue kind of lost some of their heavy metal image and yep. did the kind of bluesy or rocky thing, you know, with the ballad we had to hear a thousand times on Theater of a Pain. Right, yeah. And, uh, and I, I remember when I was 15, 16, and this record was about to be released, reading about it uh, in the... Uh, metal magazines back then probably hit parader and they were starting to talk about the key tars they would be using to produce the record. Right. So I was, synth, I was yeah, synth, synth, synth tars or something. Yeah. 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 So I was, I was starting to feel a bit disillusioned just hearing that news. Um, and I remember I probably bought that cassette the day that it came out and took it home and listened to it, uh, put on, you know, you first you hear caught somewhere in time and it's like, um, yeah, OK, that's that's a good song. Not as intense as what we've been enjoying throughout the years, but it's OK. Uh, of course, now and then Wasted Years comes up and that song there is an excellent tune. Uh, the one thing that I think 
I do like about this record is there's a lot of good songs. It's uh, Iron Maiden 3.0, but the uh, songs were still good. I really love the guitar solo in Wasted Years. It kind of reminds yeah. me some of the uh, guitar solo of Number of the Beast, the way they structured it. Oh, okay. And um, all of these songs are good, but, you know, it's just one of those records that kind of goes on that list of albums that I did enjoy or kind of learned to enjoy over time, but was just kind of disappointed in the change of sound. And also, if you remember that same month, uh, Peace Sells by Megadeth came out. And then in October, Rain and Blood by Slayer. Wow. And I bought those records. I was hearing those bands for the first time. And uh, so I was, I was quickly becoming kind of sick of what was happening in heavy metal. And in my search for something heavier was moving on into thrash. Thrashier sounds. That's sure. right. Now I did see this tour. Actually, I think this record was probably my first big arena show that I saw a major hard rock or metal band at. Who, I, opened? Uh, Who opened? Do you remember? Well, you know what? That's what I've been trying to remember. Uh, if you pull up the tour Schedule. When I saw them, it was wasted. It was Pete Way from from UFO's band, wasted, and they were quite good. I didn't know much about them at the time, but they were. Was was Pete Way with them, uh, touring with them when you saw them? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Um, you know, for some reason, I don't have a memory of who opened for, but I do remember going to the show. Actually, it was kind of funny because uh, me and a friend of mine just jumped in the car and drove to Cincinnati. I'd never driven through a big city before. You know, I just had my license for a few months and uh, had no clue where I was going. And I, I have a memory of driving around some part of Cincinnati asking 10 people how to get to the arena, but we finally made it there. <laughs> right. And uh, I, I remember the show and I remember enjoying it. And I remember them bringing out those guitar synthesizers and playing those things. Um. Yeah, and, and so I, you know, I have a lot of nostalgic memories tied to this record. The songs being good helps. And uh, actually, you know, a month ago, I kind of uh, listened to all my records throughout the year, and I put somewhere in time on, and found myself singing those songs in my head for about a week. So I've found it growing on me even more as time has gone on. Yeah. It's interesting with Maiden because hearing hearing stories from you guys, I mean, this is an emotional connection that we have to this record and this band. And I've often been asked, what's your favorite band or bands? And the two that I always tend to lean towards, and there's so many bands I love. I love Led Zeppelin. I love Sabbath. I, I, you know, I love um, Guns N' Roses. I love, you know, David Bowie. I love... Uh, Motley Crue, all ACDC, all these bands, Van Halen are just amazing. But if you ask me what my two, my favorite bands are, I usually say Kiss and Iron Maiden. And the, the thing that, that, you know, Kiss was not cool in the early 80s. And there was a, a few year period, maybe probably only like two or three years where I, I kind of stopped listening to Kiss um, because they just weren't considered cool anymore. And and it's around that time that I kind of started getting into Maiden. And the thing that I think made Maiden so special is where I grew up in the Midwest, you would occasionally hear an Ozzy song on the radio. You would occasionally hear Van Halen on the radio, not occasionally, frequently. Um, ACDC got played on the radio. You know, 
later, Motley Crue and Rat got their videos on MTV. Maiden was a band that could sell out arenas, but there was no support from FM radio or MTV. And it almost made it more um, sacred. The fact that it, it was a, it was a club that you were in or you were you were not in. There were no casual Maiden fans. You know, and and I really think that that's helped that band where we see bands like Judas Priest nowadays. Yeah, they kind of struggle to put people in seats in arenas, whereas Maiden, I, I at least when they play around here, they, they play they play like, you know, three nights in the New Jersey, New York area, you know, within a couple months. And they're almost all sold out. You know, well, this, I, I mean, this is what I was going to say, Mark, is that that hasn't changed. I mean, they still. They never get support from radio. And now you don't even hear them on classic rock radio like ever. Right. You put your local classic rock station on for if you listen to it for a day, you're going to hear five ACDC songs, five Zeppelin songs, whatever. I'm not going to hear. Yeah. Maiden. You, you know even I mean? hear more it's like amazing. Sabbath, for example, like mm-hmm. didn't really get on 80s, you know, a, you know, uh, album rock radio that much. They would occasionally play Paranoid or something. But nowadays, you know, they they are much more likely to play Sabbath than they would Maiden. You're totally right, Sam. And they they don't. And yeah, it's it's. And I feel like in a weird way, Maiden has benefited from that. You know, big time. Yeah, I mean, and you'd think well. You know, if they were on the radio, they would have reached more people. But no, it's it's made this them the fact that they're not a band that can have any casual fans. I feel like it makes their their hardcore fans even that more rabid, if you will. So um, one of my favorite bands of all time, for sure. I just when I hear an album like Somewhere in Time, you know, I, I hear those songs and I, I just feel like, ah, I'm home again. You know, it just feels so right to me always you know and and i am an enormous fan of this record as well as just about every maiden album but especially those ones that came out in the 80s just love those so so much such uh, such great stuff but any final thoughts guys I would say, um, <laughs> i'm pretty fired up for the new record next week coming out yeah Looking forward to 85 minutes of new maiden music can't wait and yep. I'm on the same page. Can't wait. Yep. We've heard that this is a diverse record, so I'm I'm definitely very curious for sure. And will you buy it on CD or vinyl? Do you guys do you guys I'll buy it on CD. buy physical still, copies? I'm I'm still a CD guy. I know it's yeah. it's ridiculous at this point, but I got a wall full of them. All right, kind of like yeah. it has there behind him, and uh, it's my favorite way to get music. It still is. I'll still rip it into my hard drive and listen to it on my phone or whatever for on the go, but. There's nothing like cranking up a CD right on stereo. And Andrew, how about you? Yeah, no, I'll, I'll I'll order the CD or pick it up at the store and I'll also, I'll download it off, uh, uh, you know, on my phone. So I have it in the car and stuff, but absolutely you'll have a hard copy of it. Right on. And, and Ed, it looks like you got CDs there on the one side and vinyl on the other, which, which are. Yeah. Um, I only, I pretty much buy mostly, it, it depends on how much I like a record, what I'll spend on it. Um, and with the, the you know, I, I've just not been much of a Maiden fan ever since Fear of the Dark. Okay. You know, by the time Fear of the Dark came out, I just wasn't listening to it anymore. 
it was uh, all thrash and death metal by then. And I haven't really liked a lot of what they put out since then. You know, it's just a different sound. And so I'll probably, uh, I'll put it on my Apple music playlist and check it out, but I probably won't spend the money on it mm, unless it right. tends to blow me away this time. Right. Right. If I like it enough, I'll go get it. Yeah. Right on. Right on. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much for supporting me on Patreon and for talking Maiden with me tonight. I enjoy it. And uh, yeah, yeah, good cool, stuff. Man. Thank you, guys. And are you guys, everyone. you guys all have talking metal T-shirts and stuff. Because if not, I, I'm happy to send those out to you. I do. I got one. Thanks. Yep. No, I do as well. <laughs> I, I do not. Okay, Ed. If you shoot me your um, your address and shirt size, I will get one out to you for sure. I will wear it. Yeah, cool. You can uh, just write. How, how do we usually communicate? Is it through Patreon or? Um, I'll catch you on Facebook. Okay, right on. 